Welcome to the All Purpose NFL Podcast. I'm your host, AP. In this week's episode, I'll talk about the Saints' dominant victory over the Buccaneers, Mike McCarthy's future with the Cowboys, and which QB will help you win in fantasy this week. But first... Highlights, analysis, and a few hard hits. This is the Game Day Blitz. The Chiefs were pushed to the limit this week by a very game Panthers team before winning 33-31. The Panthers opened the game with a touchdown drive led by Christian McCaffrey, who returned from injury this game. McCaffrey had six touches on the opening drive, including a nine-yard touchdown catch on a fourth and three. The Chiefs scored a field goal on their opening drive. The Panthers scored a touchdown on the next drive on a shovel pass to Curtis Samuel for the 14-yard score. This drive also included a fake punt pass to keep the drive going. The Chiefs scored another field goal to make the score 14-6. The Chiefs would get the ball back after a Carolina punt and take it down the field before scoring on another one-of-a-kind Andy Reid play. Mahomes walked away from the play, then rushed back towards the center and caught the hike in motion only to do a complete 180 and go the opposite direction and find a wide-open Demarcus Robinson in the end zone. The Panthers would score a field goal to take a 17-13 lead in the halftime. After the break, both teams missed field goals before the Chiefs would take the lead on a Clyde edwards lair four-yard receiving touchdown. The Panthers punted on the ensuing drive, and the Chiefs took the ball 69 yards in just six plays to score again on a touchdown catch by Tyreek Hill, who was somehow wide open, like no one was around him. You know, the best receiver on the Chiefs team, that guy. No one was around him. The Panthers followed that touchdown with one of their own by Teddy Bridgewater, who ran it in on a nice QB draw. The Panthers failed a surprise onside kick, and the Chiefs got the ball and drove 39 yards for another Tyreek Hill touchdown. The Panthers again responded with a touchdown, this one from Christian McCaffrey on the ground to make the score 33-31. The Chiefs would fail to get a first down and gave the ball back to the Panthers, who were unable to make the game-winning 67-yard field goal. Because, you know, it's a normal length field goal to try and make. This game was enjoyable to say the least. The Chiefs defense struggled early with the returning Christian McCaffrey, but like I've said all year... The defense is one that is built around getting enough stops to allow their offense to outscore the opponent, and that was the case again today, although it didn't start off looking that way. Patrick Mahomes had problems at the beginning of the game, but rebounded pretty quickly and finished the game with 372 yards and four touchdowns. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill both had over 100 yards, with Kelsey getting 10 catches for 159 and Hill having 9 catches for 113. One of the more interesting developments of this game was the lack of success on the ground for the Chiefs, who only had 30 yards rushing total for the day. But my biggest takeaway from the Chiefs this game is that they are the equivalent to the Golden State Warriors during their dominant run in the NBA. With Andy Reid as the coach, the team is fluid and innovative on offense. But what's more is the weapons are so versatile and can be used in so many different ways. Mahomes had 372 yards and four touchdowns this game. But three weeks ago, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rushed for 161 yards. Tyreek Hill has nine touchdowns this season, but only 650 yards. Travis Kelsey has six touchdowns and 769 yards. But there's also Watkins, Robinson, and Hardman who all have at least two touchdowns. What's more is no lead ever seems to be safe. Very similarly to the Warriors, who could be down 25 in the third quarter and still win by 15, this Chiefs team seems to never be out of a game, 
despite whatever the deficit is. For the Panthers, they didn't win, but this is a game that they can look back on as a positive. They held fast and went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the league. I'm not one for moral victories, but I do think this is a game to be built upon. One of the things that stood out to me about this game is the Panthers seemed to understand how dangerous the Chiefs' offense is, and they tried to take advantage of every opportunity they got. The fake punt, onside kicks, going for it on fourth down multiple times. Matt Rule wanted to take every chance he could to get this win, and it just barely evaded him. Christian McCaffrey was great in his return. He rushed 18 times for 69 yards and a touchdown, while also having 10 catches for 82 yards and a touchdown. His impact on the effectiveness of this team was very evident, especially looking back on how they've struggled offensively throughout the season. Teddy Bridgewater continues to be solid this season with his third 300-yard game this season and his fourth game with multiple touchdown passes. The Panthers will look to snap their four-game losing streak this week against the Buccaneers while the Chiefs have a bye. The Steelers held on to beat the Cowboys 24-19. The Cowboys were first on the board with a field goal. After a few punts and the Steelers turnover on downs, the Cowboys were able to get the first touchdown of the game from a 20-yard catch by CeeDee Lamb. After another Steelers punt, the Cowboys scored another field goal to take a 13-0 lead. The Steelers were able to score on the next drive, but not before Ben Roethlisberger took a big hit that had him grabbing at his knee, which was a very scary moment as a Steelers fan. He stayed in the game and completed the drive with a touchdown pass to James Washington. Chris Boswell missed the extra point. This is foreshadowing. Ben would head to the locker room early before time ran out in the quarter. The Cowboys would fumble on the first play of the ensuing drive, and the Steelers would have to send out Mason Rudolph to try and manufacture something before the end of the half. He didn't because he's not that good. The Steelers would score on a career-long 59-yard field goal by Chris Boswell to cut the lead to 9-13 going into halftime. The Cowboys scored two third-quarter field goals to take a 19-9 lead. The Steelers scored early in the fourth quarter on a 31-yard Juju Smith-Schuster touchdown where he fought his way into the end zone. Chris Boswell's point after was blocked. Yeah. The Cowboys were able to drive the ball down the field, but Minka Fitzpatrick got an interception in the end zone to take the ball back. The Steelers would score a field goal to cut the lead to just one. The Cowboys punted on their next drive, which led to a Steelers touchdown for the lead. Eric Ebron jumped over someone to score said touchdown. The disrespect in the NFL continues to happen every week. It's not right. You should not do this to other grown men. On the ensuing drive, the Cowboys turned over on downs at the Dallas 24-yard line. The Steelers went for it on 4th and 1 and failed, so the Cowboys got the ball back and drove it down the field, but were unable to score and lost the game. First things first. As a Steelers fan, this was hard to watch and a very, very frustrating game. My brother, JD, called me during the game to ask what the Steelers were doing, and I had no answer for him. The Steelers just didn't look prepared and honestly looked like they had expended all their energy in beating the Titans in Baltimore and figured this would be an easy game, and they weren't fully prepared. The Cowboys made them regret that decision. Ben had a good statistical game with 306 yards and three touchdowns, but it didn't look good. It was one of those on paper it looks good, but the eye test says this was not a good game. The Steelers also didn't rely on their run game. James Conner rushed nine times for a total of 22 yards. 
Ben Roethlisberger had the next most rushing yards with eight. You know, Ben, the old man who should be running anywhere, not even to the bathroom. Defensively, the Steelers didn't seem prepared for Garrett Gilbert, which is somewhat understandable because I didn't know he was that mobile. I don't think anybody knew he was that mobile. The oddest part of the game, though, was the fourth down try at the end of the game. Remember the foreshadowing from earlier? Ooh. So here's the thing. The ball was spotted on the 15-yard line where Chris Boswell had not made a kick all game. Dan Orlovsky of ESPN brought up a seemingly valid point. For all the people who think it would have been smarter to kick the field goal and go up at that moment, maybe Mike Tomlin didn't have faith in the leg of his kicker and figured it would be easier to get the one yard necessary to ice the game. It's a wild thought, but for how Boswell played, it does seem to make some sense. For the Cowboys, their struggles continue. This was the best they've looked since Dak Prescott went down. So that's something that's a positive. Zeke still seems a little bit off and hasn't had a 100-yard rushing game. But CeeDee Lamb had a pretty good game despite the fumble to Megan Fitzpatrick. Tony Pollard continues to be a good backup and provides just as much production as Zeke when he's in the game. And even the Cowboys' defense looked good for the first time this season and may be at a point where they are turning things around. I mean, I doubt it, but one can't hope. The Steelers continue their push to stay undefeated this week against the Bengals. The Cowboys are on a bye. The Saints beat the Buccaneers like a redheaded stepchild, 38. The Saints scored on their first drive of the game on a 14-yard touchdown catch from Traquan Smith. The Bucs went three and out. The Saints drove down the field, but Jared Cook fumbled on the two-yard line, so the Bucs got the ball back. The Bucs went three and out. The Saints again drove the ball down the field and scored on an Adam Troutman touchdown catch. The Bucks went three and out. The Saints scored again on an Emmanuel Sanders touchdown catch. Ha, I got you. The Bucks didn't go three and out this time. They only got two plays before a Tom Brady batted ball resulted in an interception by a defensive lineman. Alvin Kamara scored the next Saints touchdown on a one-yard run. The Bucks turned the ball over on downs after an eight-play drive. The Saints didn't score a touchdown this time, just a field goal. Tom Brady threw his second interception of the game as the Saints took a 31-0 lead into halftime. Neither team did anything of note during the third quarter. The Saints scored again in the fourth on a Josh Hill touchdown catch. The Bucks were able to hold off the shutout with a late quarter field goal. Well, that was rough. It wasn't even fun to watch after halftime because of the lopsided nature of the game. The Saints game plan worked to perfection and they were in a position to score on their first Five drives, if not for the Jared Cook fumble. Drew Brees played like the best version of himself, only missing six throws while throwing for 222 yards and four touchdowns. He was only sacked once. Taysom Hill had a great day running the ball. He had 54 yards on seven carries. He also threw it twice for 48 yards and had a 21-yard reception. At some point, they will have a name for whatever position it is he actually plays. The Buccaneers look worse than they have since the last time they played the Saints. And this game was in Tampa Bay. For the success that they've had as of late, it was the fourth consecutive game the team has failed to get a first down in their first three drives, which was good enough against the Raiders, Giants, and Packers, but not against the Saints. Honestly, though, looking back on it, if not for those two interceptions by Aaron Rodgers, the likelihood that that game got out of hand in favor of the Packers is actually pretty high. The team abandoned the run really early and never went back to it. 
they only had five rushing attempts all game. I honestly didn't know it was possible to only run five times in a game. Brady didn't look good, especially with the two interceptions that were just poorly thrown balls. All told, this was as bad a game for the Buccaneers as it was a good game for the Saints. The Bucs head to Carolina to face the Panthers next, while the Saints welcomed the 49ers to New Orleans. The Patriots defeated the Jets 30-27. The Jets scored a field goal on their opening drive. The Patriots responded with an 8-play, 75-yard drive capped off by a Cam Newton touchdown run. After punts from both teams, the Jets scored on a 50-yard touchdown catch by Brashad Perriman. After a turnover on downs by the Patriots, the teams would trade field goals. On the final drive of the half, Jameson Crowder caught a touchdown pass where he showcased the toe-drag swag on an amazing catch. The touchdown put the Jets up 20-10 going into halftime. The Patriots used a 13-play 78-yard drive that took over 7.5 minutes off the clock to cut the lead to 17-20 on a Rex Burkhead touchdown. The Jets pushed the league back to 10 with an 11-play 75-yard drive that took almost 7 minutes off the clock and ended with another Brashad Perriman touchdown. Cornerback J.C. Jackson got caught slipping, literally, as Brashad Perriman was wide open after Jackson fell down on the play. The Patriots kicked a field goal on the ensuing drive, which took nine plus minutes. After an interception by Joe Flacco, the Patriots scored another touchdown to tie the game at 27 on another Cam Newton touchdown run. Despite having the ball with under two minutes left, the Jets were unable to move the ball and punted it away. The Patriots were able to get into field goal range and win the game on a last second 51-yard field goal kick. First off, this game was much better than it had any right to be. This was the game I actually expected to see from the Bucks and Saints, and they failed me. Cam Newton was an interesting case in this game. He was rather efficient going 27 of 35 for 274 yards. He didn't throw any touchdowns, but he also wasn't sacked and didn't throw any picks. The thing about Cam in this game is that he wasn't used in the run game effectively. He had 10 rushes for 16 yards. Three of those rushes came on the goal line, and his longest rush was only five yards. I will say this. I don't think Cam has been the same since returning from his bout with COVID-19. In this game, he didn't seem like himself and even slipped and fell while trying to make a play twice, which was very uncharacteristic of Cam Newton. There was also a play when he was sacked. It was called off due to helmet-to-helmet contact, but he didn't seem to sense the oncoming defensive player, and he got hit hard. I'm not sure if there are lingering effects that are causing him problems, but he has not looked the same in my eyes. Joe Flacco looked good in relief of the injured Sam Darnold with 262 yards, three touchdowns, and only one interception, but his second half play cost his team the game. The interception was a bad throw and didn't need to happen, and he took the only sack of the game in the final drive that the Jets had, which led to the Patriots' final field goal. One of the more interesting things for both teams was how much time they took off the clock with each drive. This was a really long game that ended up being really short because each team had long drives that ate up the clock. It was a really interesting dynamic because it's not something that you usually see. There weren't as many drives this game, and it was, it was really interesting to see the way clock management went. The Patriots face the Ravens next while the Jets take their winless record into the bye. So, let's look at the rest of the games from this past week. 
The Packers dominated a shorthanded 49ers team 34-17. Aaron Rodgers had 305 yards and two touchdowns. Devontae Adams also had a good game with 10 receptions, 173 yards, and a touchdown. The Titans handed the Bears their third straight loss 24-17. Ryan Tannehill only completed 10 passes for 158 yards, while Derrick Henry only got 68 yards. Despite these less than spectacular performances, it was enough to outmatch Nick Foles, who had 335 yards and two touchdowns. The Falcons got their third win of the season against the Broncos 34-27. Falcons wide receiver Olamide Zacchaeus had a big game with four receptions, 103 yards, and one touchdown. Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy also had a good game, going for 125 yards and a touchdown. The Seahawks fell to the Bills 44-34. This was a rough day for Russell Wilson, who threw two interceptions and lost two fumbles. He was able to throw for 390 yards and two touchdowns and ran in his first touchdown on the ground for the year. For the Bills, Josh Allen had 415 yards and three touchdowns. The Ravens took down the Colts 24-10. Lamar Jackson was an efficient 19-23 of 23 for 170 yards through the air, while also contributing 58 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Phillip Rivers threw for 227 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. The Lions lost to the Vikings 34-20. Dalvin Cook continued his dominant run this season, again rushing for over 200 yards this game and two touchdowns. Kirk Cousins also had a good game going 13 of 20 for 220 yards and three touchdowns. The Giants beat the Washington football team 23 to 20. In relief of Kyle Allen, who was carted off after an ankle injury, Alex Smith had 325 yards, one touchdown, but three interceptions. Terry McLaurin and Cam Sims of the Redskins both had 110 plus yards on the deck. The Jaguars lost to the Texans 27-25. Deshaun Watson had 281 yards and two touchdowns. 100 of those yards were to Will Fuller. For the Jaguars, Jake Ledden had 304 yards, one touchdown, and one interception in his first start, and DJ Chark had 146 yards and a touchdown. The Raiders survived a close game against the Chargers 31-26. Derek Carr only produced 165 yards but had two touchdowns on the day. Justin Herbert continued his dominant rookie run with his fourth 300-yard game of the season. The Chargers seemed to score on the last play of the game, but the touchdown was ruled incomplete after review. The Dolphins won a back-and-forth battle with the Cardinals 34-31. Tua Tungavailoa rebounded from his rough first start with 248 yards and two touchdowns. Kyler Murray was also very good, throwing for 283 yards and three touchdowns. He also rushed for 106 yards and a touchdown. With all the news being thrown around, you need the proper defense. Time for the Cover 3, the top three stories of the week. Number three. The Atlanta Falcons released defensive lineman Tack McKinley this week after he took to Twitter to criticize the team for not trading him. McKinley tweeted, quote, these Atlanta Falcons turned down a second round draft pick when I requested to get traded last year. The same Atlanta Falcons turned down a fifth and sixth round draft pick from multiple teams when I requested to get traded this year. I only have 17.5 career sacks. And then he put three clown face emojis. This whole situation doesn't make sense to me. McKinley has not been healthy this year and has only seen the field in four games this year. In the last two games for the Falcons, he only saw the field on five snaps against the Panthers and on 23 against Detroit. McKinley has one sack on the season and only had 
three and a half sacks in 14 games last year. For Atlanta, I don't understand why they would not get rid of a clearly disgruntled player who could have been sold for good draft capital. The team did not pick up his fifth year option, so this was his final season on the roster. If they could have gotten at worst a fifth round pick for him, it would make sense to make this move because his dead cap was going to be the same no matter what. I do understand that the team no longer has their general manager after he was let go with Dan Quinn, but this move seemed like it was one that would have been easy to make. What's worse is now you've released him and he got what he wanted and the organization got nothing in return. Like I said, this is a situation that doesn't make sense because the organization looks foolish in the end. Number two. This week, Stephen Jones said Mike McCarthy will absolutely return as the Cowboys head coach next season. I am a major supporter of coaches being given their fair opportunity to succeed. I think most coaches should be given at least four years to allow themselves to acclimate to the team and get the proper personnel in that fit their system and be allowed to succeed. However, in certain cases, I don't think this is the most effective solution. Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys is one of those cases. Looking at this season, it's easy to see that McCarthy has some understandable problems. The offensive line hasn't been healthy. Dak Prescott went down to injury. And Zeke has coughed up the ball more times in the first eight games of the season than he did all last year. The flip of these problems, which would allow him to stay, is the other issues he's having. The defense is horrible thanks to the new defensive coordinator he brought in this season. The locker room seems divided, and a lot of the issues that Jason Garrett was fired for still seem to be around. Now, in recent years, we've seen what good coaching looks like. Mike Tomlin and the Steelers going 8-8 eight eight last year after losing Big Ben and having the worst quarterback play in the league still went 8-8. Eight eight. Brian Flores and the Dolphins pulling together five wins after their abysmal start last year and unifying to create what seemed to be a good team that you're seeing the benefits of this season. Kyle Shanahan finding small success when his team has gone through injury issues. They've lost Jimmy G multiple times, but still seem to be a good team. Mike McCarthy doesn't have that. And here's the thing for me. Being a head coach is about more than just the X's and the O's and game planning or being an offensive guru despite the way most head coaches are hired nowadays. It's about being the CEO of the team and being a leader of men. At this point, it does not seem like Mike McCarthy is cut out for that role with the Cowboys. And they may want to cut ties with him sooner rather than later and find someone who can fit that role most effectively. Number one. The NFL announced that in light of concerns over COVID-19, a 16-team playoff has been approved if further games are lost to COVID this season. This is major on two levels for me. Firstly, the idea that the first round buy of the NFL would be completely gone in this format is wild to me. One of the things I've always loved about the NFL is the first round buy that truly rewards the best teams for their successes during the season. I can't imagine the frustration of having earned a first round bye and then not receiving it because the playoff format has completely changed. 
the second level of this story is the consideration of COVID affecting more games this season. This pandemic has continued to be a part of the season, despite the best efforts to push it to the side for the sake of playing. This week alone, four Pittsburgh Steelers players were put on the COVID list because of close contact with tight end Vance McDonald and are not allowed back into the facility for five days and with negative test results. They can do virtual meetings, but they won't get to practice this week. Last week, Matthew Stafford was on the COVID list and was only allowed to play after testing negative on game day. And again, I said it earlier, Cam Newton does not seem to be the same person since contracting the virus. There's a very high likelihood as the weather gets colder and the virus continues to spread that we see more games canceled this season. And that will lead to one of the most unorthodox NFL playoffs we've ever seen. Up, down, or the same, teams are always changing in the power rankings. In this week's power rankings, the Chiefs and Steelers continue their run as the top two teams in the league. Neither had a particularly strong showing on Sunday, but both still have eight wins. The Packers are number three and the Saints climb to number four. The Ravens are back into the top five at exactly number five. The Titans rise to number six. The Seahawks and the Buccaneers both fall to seven and eight, respectively. The Bills rise to number nine, and the Cardinals fall to number 10. Need help with your fantasy squad? Look no further than the all-purpose fantasy outlook. This week's fantasy outlook focuses on quarterbacks. The start of the week is Drew Brees going against a shorthanded 49ers team that continues to struggle to find an offensive rhythm. So their defense stays on the field more and will give up more plays to the high-powered Saints offense. The sit of the week is Matthew Stafford going against a sneaky good Washington defense that is number one in pass yards allowed and top five in passing touchdowns allowed. Stafford will likely struggle. The sleeper of the week is Broncos quarterback Drew Locke, who has five touchdowns in the past two weeks and is going against a Raiders defense that gives up the sixth most fantasy points to quarterbacks according to NFL Fantasy. He is also still available in most leagues. That's it for this week. I'm your host, Ariane A.P. Parks. You can find me on social media at APNFLPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also listen to the all-purpose NFL podcast on anchor.fm slash APNFLPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Have a good one.